My name is Chris Peterson, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here at HBC, and it's my privilege to bring you the Word of God this morning. Well, I was feeling pretty good about the sermon until Sammy back there said, uh, you're up against cinnamon rolls, so you're going to have to bring it this morning. <laughs> so thanks, Sammy, for the pressure. When you think back over the last year, is there a time when you were troubled over a situation and needed to be comforted? Where did you find that comfort? Or as you look into the new year, is there comfort in knowing that Christ will be with you during any trouble that arises? Our text today is from John 14, 1 through 6. And we will see that Jesus Christ comforts troubled followers by calling them to trust in him. Several years ago, some friends of mine and I went uh, backpacking uh, on a section of the Appalachian Trail. We were on a very steep part of the trail, had a long way to go, uh, the foot of snow on the ground. And uh, that, that really made it difficult uh, for going uphill, just slogging through the snow. Uh, I thought we were all together, but when I looked behind me, one of our party <laughs> was missing. I started backtracking to see if I could find him. After what seemed like a long time, I spotted him and stayed with him until we caught up with the others. Later on, he told me that he started to despair and lose hope when he saw, saw us separating from him. He had stepped in a creek while he was crossing over it, got wet, cold, and, and he was already tired. He told me that when he saw me coming back down the mountain, it gave him comfort. And then he began to be hopeful again. He was still cold and wet and tired and still had the mountain to climb. But being reunited with his companion rejuvenated him and he was able to keep going. Our reunion was temporary comfort for my friend. But Jesus is eternal comfort for us. The setting for our passage this morning is in the upper room. The night before Jesus is betrayed. And part of the upper room discourse. The upper room discourse is a section of teaching found only in the Gospel of John. These are the last words Jesus spoke to His disciples before His crucifixion. We read in John 13, 21, that Jesus Himself was troubled in spirit due to knowing that Judas was about to betray Him. He had also told His disciples in John 13, 33, that He was leaving. I am with you a little while longer, and in verse 36, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me later. He had also just told him that he was going to die. John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So now we come to John 14, where Jesus is comforting his disciples even while being troubled himself. 
Follow along as I read the perfect Word of God, John 14, 1 through 6. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are sovereign over all things. Thank you for your love for your children and the way in which you comfort us when we're troubled. Thank you for comforting us with your promises to go and prepare a place for us and receive us to yourself. Thank you for dying on the cross and removing every obstacle that was in our way to get to the Father. Now we ask that you open our hearts to hear the truth of your comforting word this morning and that it would penetrate us deeply and accomplish what you desire and succeed in the matter for which you sent it. Please be with the preacher and help me to communicate clearly. I need your help, Lord. It is in the matchless name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. So as we've already established, the main point of our passage is that Jesus comforts troubled followers by calling them to trust in him. In verse 1, we will see that he calls us to trust in him by pleading with us to believe he is God. In verses 2 and 3, we will see that he calls us to trust him by promising us to take us to God. And in verses 4 to 6, he calls us to trust in him by providing the way to God. The first point this morning is that he calls us to trust in him by pleading with us to believe he is God. Verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus gives them a command here. Do not let. Do you hear the plea? Parents, how many times have you given a similar plea to your kids? Don't worry. Don't fret. Trust me. He knows our hearts and exactly what troubles us. Here the disciples' messianic hopes, which had peaked at the triumphal entry, were dashed when Jesus told them of his leaving and impending death. In, in, in John 13 and John 12, as we've already read. They were also about to part with their beloved and dear friend. Nothing but uncertainty and persecution seemingly awaited them. Not to mention that they would have to face all of that alone. Jesus isn't saying, don't begin to be troubled, but stop doing it. 
The Greek word for troubled here is the verb terasso, which means to agitate or to cause one inward commotion. Isn't that like our gracious Lord, who although being troubled himself, sought to comfort them as he seeks to comfort us? Also later in this chapter, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So here we have a dilemma and a solution, or an antidote, if you will. The dilemma is a troubled heart. The antidote, believe in me as you already believe in God, my Father. Beloved with a troubled or disquieted heart, Jesus is calling you now to stop or cease being troubled and believe in Him. Believe that He is the only one who can comfort. Believe that He has already paid our penalty at the cross. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? That's Romans 8.32. Believe that you will spend eternity dwelling with Him in His heavenly abode, as we will see in the following verses. Spurgeon writes, These disciples know that the Savior was to be away from them, so that they could not see Him nor hear His voice. What of that? Is it not so with God, in whom we believe? No man hath seen God at any time. Yet you believe in the invisible God, working all things, sustaining all things. In the same manner, believe in the absent and invisible Christ, that he is still as mighty as though you could see him walking the waves, or multiplying the loaves, or healing the sick, or raising the dead. Believe him, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Believe in God in verse 1 is an indicative. It's an indication of something or a statement of fact. Believe also in me is an imperative or a command. Again, knowing what we need, he commands us to not be troubled by commanding us to believe in him. He is pleading with us to choose to obey his command. Lastly, in verse 1 and at the beginning of verse 2, he is again making the claim that he is God. Believing in God is the same as believing in me because we are one and the same. When he says, in my father's house, he is also making that claim. In John 5.18, we read, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Also, later in verse 11, Jesus says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. In the Old Testament, we see where Israel trusted in God. Not perfectly, but they continually turned back to Him in faith. Abraham believed in the Lord, and he reckoned to Him as righteousness. David said in Psalm 25, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O God, in you I trust. David also wrote in Psalm 56, 
When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. How fitting for our passage is that verse. The disciples were troubled and most certainly riddled with fear at the prospect of being apart from Jesus. Yet because of the Old Testament, they would have known Israel's heritage and trusting in God. They knew who Yahweh was, but here Jesus is telling them to have that same faith in him. John attested to the de deity of Jesus Christ right from the start of his gospel. In John 1.1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John Calvin said, God has fully revealed himself so far as God's infinite goodness, wisdom, and power are clearly manifested in him. In order to see these attributes of God clearly, we must look at Christ to see them manifested. We can only know God by knowing Jesus. Jesus was telling his, his disciples, and he is pleading with us, believe me and stop being troubled because I am God. So first we see Jesus calls us to trust him by pleading with us to believe that he is God. Our second point this morning is that he calls us to trust him by promising us to take us to God. And so I'll read again verses uh, 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for, uh, for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. So our Lord continues to comfort his troubled followers by assuring them that where he is going, there is room for them also. His dwelling is vast and there is plenty of room. He emphasizes that this is a true statement by saying, if it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus has already told them he was leaving several times. What makes this different is he is telling them the purpose for leaving, to prepare a place for them. Heaven is not just for angels and God, but for the inheritance of all those who trust in him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I know you're probably wondering what kind of dwelling places these will be. With that thought, keep in mind who is preparing these dwelling places. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. There are rooms not just anywhere, but in his Father's house. We will have suites, if you will, in the dwelling place of the Most High. These lavish rooms will be far better than the best this life has to offer. When we are down or despondent, we should call to mind this promise that Jesus himself is preparing a place for us. 
This will help us continue on persevering in faithfulness to Him. Again, these are luxurious rooms that He Himself will prepare. As He says, I go and prepare a place for you. Usually kings have servants do the lowly tasks of preparation. But here He says, He will do it. Isn't that the personal and humble nature of our Lord? To go before us and to personally make all the preparations for our arrival. This is the same Lord who only hours earlier had washed the disciples' feet. If I go, can be read, after I have gone, I will return to you. Again, so personal is our great Savior and friend. Now, we know the manner of His going because we have Scripture. And His disciples didn't. We have the pages of the Bible that vividly illustrates the horrific death He suffered on the cross. We also have the glorious resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ to this very dwelling place. The disciples who were troubled because He was leaving are now being told by Christ that yes, He is leaving, but He will be back to get them. Not only that, but in the place I'm taking you to, you'll be with me. Another commentator says, In our Lord's going away, as well as in His continuance in His Father's presence, He would be engaged in preparing a place for His own. He was going that He might clear all impediment out of the way. Their sins blocked the road. Like mountains, their iniquities opened all passage. But now that he is gone, it may be said, the breaker is come up before them, and the Lord on the head of them. He hath broken down every wall of partition, and every iron gate he hath opened. The way into the kingdom is open for all believers. He passed through death to resurrection and ascension to remove every obstacle from our path. When we adopted two of our boys from Haiti, uh, Melissa and I made a trip uh, down there and spent some time with them. When we left, it was heartbreaking. But we assured them that we would be back to get them. They would be left there while we were away to continue the hardships that they were living in. But now they had the hope and promise that they would be with us in the future. They would dwell with us and our home would be their home. That's why what Jesus is saying here. I'm coming back for you and you will dwell with me as members of my family. A year later, after the horrific earthquake, I went to Miami to pick up our boys. And when I arrived and when I saw them, I melted. I hugged them for what seemed like hours. Even though there weren't many words because of the language barrier, there were many tears of joy. It was such a sweet reunion. When we arrived at home the next day, there had been a, there had been a big blizzard in Hickory. No, I'm serious. <laughs> it used to snow back then. Um, I couldn't even get up our road because of the ice. Melissa and our six children walked. Well, 
So she read this sermon and corrected me. She ran. Her and our six children ran down the road in their PJs to meet their new brothers. A sweet and as sweet and wonderful as that was, it pales in comparison to being united with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Beloved, do you hear his promise here? He is preparing a place for you. He will come and receive you, and you will dwell or abide, which was, is one of our favorite words here at HBC. You will abide with him and have union and communion with him. Hear these words again from verse 27 of, of chapter 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Will you trust in his promise to take us to God? So finally, Jesus comforts his troubled followers by calling them to trust him by providing the way to God. So I'll reread verses 4 through 6. And Jesus says, And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know the way where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus has so often told them that he was going to die and rise and ascend to heaven that surely they would know the way where he was going. They missed it. Vocalizing their confusion, Thomas spoke up and said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? As if Thomas is saying, did we miss something? Peter asks a similar question in John 13. Lord, where are you going? I believe a bit of panic starts to set in, but if they were listening, he wasn't speaking of a route to a destination they would have to navigate or trusting in Siri for directions. He had already told them that he was coming back to receive them. Jesus not only answers Thomas' question, but crushes any doubt by saying, essentially, I am all-encompassing. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way... They would have access to him by first depending on Christ's merits, then obeying his commands and imitating his example. The truth. Jesus Christ is the fountain and source of all truth. By his inspiration, the prophet spoke, and by him all truth is communicated to men. The life. John wrote and Jesus taught that he is the very life of God to the soul of man. John 1.4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 11.25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me will live even if he dies. He is saying here that you know the way because you know me. I am the way. It's not just the last part. No one comes to the Father but through me that conveys exclusivity. It's the entire verse. He is the only way. He is the only truth. And he is the only life. Do you believe that? Do you draw comfort from that? That Jesus Christ is our Savior and our only way? The one who bled and died and rose from the grave. The one who even now sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Do these truths about Christ bring you comfort? Because of the exclusivity of this verse, Christianity became known as the way. So thus far, we have been talking about troubled followers, like his disciples, but followers nonetheless. Those who have repented and trusted in Christ for salvation. Now I want to speak to those who have not trusted in Christ for their salvation. Do you believe the lies that say there are many paths to God and that all religions can coexist? Jesus shatters that delusional way of thinking right here when he says, no one comes to the Father but through me. F.S. Bruce wrote, Jesus is in fact the only way by which men and women may come to the Father. There is no other way. If this seems offensively exclusive, let it be borne in mind that the one who makes this claim is the incarnate word, the revealer of the Father. If God has no avenue of communication with mankind apart from his word, mankind has no avenue of approach to God apart from that same word who became flesh and dwelt among us in order to supply such an avenue of approach. Of approach. Well, the next day, Jesus would go to the cross to pay the penalty of death that we all owe because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death. Who has sinned? We all have. Who deserves, deserves death? We all do. But the free gift of God and eternal is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We just celebrated Christmas and most of us received and gave gifts. But the greatest gift is Christ who takes away the sins of the world. Matthew eleven. 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you've come in here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, He's calling you now to trust Him and to come to Him by repentance and faith. Will you call out to Him and find true comfort? Will you trust His provision as the only way to God? So I want to leave you here with three ways to rest in His comfort as you continually trust in Him. The first one is to pray. Jesus not only taught us to pray in Matthew 6, but in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Paul says that we will have peace. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer is how we communicate with our Father and stay in communion with Him. Jesus also modeled this in Mark 1.35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place. And He was praying there. The second way to rest in His comfort is to praise. 2 Corinthians 1, sorry, 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed, or praise, as another translation puts it, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we, we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Have you thought about that? That praising our Lord brings us comfort? And not only that, but He's worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy. He's the only one that is. And that brings us comfort as well. And the third way to rest in His comfort is to proclaim Him. 1 John 1 3 and 4 says, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. There is much comfort in joy. And what a joy it is to point others to the Savior, who is the way and the truth, and the life. So as you pray, praise, and proclaim Him this week, observe the comfort they bring you in the midst of these practices. To close, I want to remind you of the purpose of John's Gospel. In John 20, 31, he writes, These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that believing 
you may have life in his name. Nowhere is that more clearer than in our passage today. If you have any questions about what you've heard or want to hear more of Christ and him crucified, I'll be down front as well as one of the elders and you can come speak to us. We'd love to to speak to you. So now as you look to the new year, heed the plea from our Lord. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, thank you for your word and for the gift of your Son who is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Father, I pray that we would find comfort in Jesus Christ and trust Him in all things. That we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and that we would live our lives worthy of the calling we have received. Thank you that when we are troubled, we need not look any further than your word that says, do not let your heart be troubled and I will never leave you nor forsake you. We pray for the new year and that you would help us to know in our hearts that you are our complete comfort. Also that when we are troubled, we would heed your calling to trust in you. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, I pray. Amen.